Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. On episode 16, we talk with T.K. Heron, a vice president in human resources and an HR business partner at Medtronic. In his role, he leads HR for the two-plus billion-dollar global brain therapies business, made up of the brain modulation, enabling technology, and neurovascular businesses. In our conversation, TK talks about the power of vision, mission, and values in an ever-changing world. So I'm Calarius Heron, and I am the Vice President of Human Resources for Medtronic's Global Brain Therapies business. I'm based in Southern California. I've been in the role and with Medtronic via an acquisition for seven years now and been in the medtech space for a little bit of over 15 years. And prior to the MedTech space, I led HR and finance uh, nonprofit uh, and manufacturing organizations. Great. And um, I would love to share with some of the listeners how you and I met. Um, can, you, can you talk a little bit about how we met through the uh, California School of Professional Psychology? Yeah, absolutely. So I consider myself a lifelong learner and, uh, you know, completed my undergrad in psychology. And then I moved to California 20, a little bit over 20 years ago for grad school, specifically seminary. So I finished the degree in systematic theology, focused on liberation theology. And then I went on to do a human resources design um, type OD role, um, mm-hmm. master's degree. And then I, ha- I was fortunate enough to have some great mentors in the organization development space. And I just uh, just loved the work and decided to go a little bit deep and decided to do a doctorate degree in organization development. And part of my journey in trying to explore dissertation topics, some of my colleagues in my cohort had suggested that I consider doing a topic around out gay men in the workplace uh, because I um, was out in the workplace and it wasn't a topic I was exploring. I was going in really uh, interested in why managers became managers and a little bit frustrated around um, people aspiring to be in leadership roles, but not really equipped or having a passion for it or developing people. And I, I had some classmates that really challenged me and says, you know, TK, you're involved with diversity and inclusion in your company. You're out gay man. There's not a lot of research in this area. Why wouldn't you consider doing something around this? And I had a reaction to the, to the recommendation and saying that, well, I don't speak for all gay men, just like I don't speak for all African-Americans. But it, um, it challenged me. And I said, you know, why not? You know, I should add my voice. And so during, through that, you know, part of my dissertation when I decided to, you know, scope out the design was to do a qualitative study and really understanding the lived experiences of gay men who are out in the workplace. So that was part of my criteria. And through a series of events, um, I was introduced to Bill to say, this is someone who you should know and may be interested in your dissertation, um, given his um, experience and his path, uh, specifically in the military and being out. Right. So um, that was how our paths crossed was during my my dissertation uh, work at California School of Professional Psych, and I finished that 
program in 2017 and graduated doctor of psychology. And I have built to, I have you to think that's part of that journey and part of my dissertation. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I remember those, I remember those meetings and those interviews. Um, they were, it was great to share that perspective. And it's certainly something that I think we'll probably talk about a little bit later in the, in, in our discussion today around how important it is that people connect around, um, you know, your, your story. And, um, as we think about change that's happening kind of in the world today, um, we don't have to look too far. You don't have to, you know, look too much into a newspaper to turn on the TV for too long to realize, um, that, you know, things like inclusion and employee resource groups and um, the power of diversity, these are all things that, um, to me, are uh, becoming more and more important on a day-to-day basis. But we'll get into all that. Um, I would love to um, <clears throat> kind of start off by talking a little bit about um, Medtronic. And obviously, as you as you mentioned, um, the, the mission, one of the things that really stood out to me about Medtronic um, as we think about change is um, in in my research, I saw that despite all the change that Medtronic has gone through, um, you know, in, in acquisitions and organic change, uh, the mission has stayed the same essentially since 1962. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to hear from you from the standpoint of someone in, in HR and you're working in a really important space around brain science. Um, you know, how, how do you balance the, the mission staying the same with, frankly, a very changing world and workspace in healthcare? Yeah, actually, it's, it's, a, it's a great question, especially for those of us that, um, you know, have experience and, and come from an organization development background and interests or work, um, as well as focused on change, is that, you know, our mission is that one constant. And, you know, it's, as you mentioned, was written in 1962, by our founder, Earl Bakken, who recently passed last fall. Um, and when you think about the first part of the mission talks about it's in six tenets, and the first one is to uh, states to uh, contribute to the human welfare, and forgive me, I'm gonna try to remember, um, but to contribute to the human welfare of biomedical engineering and research and manufacturing and sell of um, these medical devices, uh, to alleviate pain and restore health and stem life. And when you think about that, um, to contribute to human welfare um, with the application of biomedical engineering. So we are a tech company, if you will, an engineering company um, to alleviate pain, restore life, um, restore health and stem life. And so when you think about how do we do that over half a century, Mm -hmm. and you only do that um, by changing um, by making sure that you're current, by using the newest technology, the tools and resources out there. And so, you know, I think the, the, the mission, although it has been constant by the six tenants, um, that it has guided us through a lot of change um, and it has informed our change um, to make sure that we are living um, up to the mission of alleviating pain and restoring health and extending life. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's, uh, to me, it's really powerful because as, as you and I have talked about TK, the, the, the power of a vision and or mission, um, in working with a lot of clients and customers, it's really important that they have something to look toward or look back at, or look at as a constant when they're in the disruption, when they're in that change. And 
it's interesting you talk about being an engineering and an innovation company and a technology company. I think it's almost woven into the fabric of your of your you know your company culture, which is you know we have to change in order to innovate and we have to innovate in order to save lives and change lives. Um, but I but I often do think about the amount of you know digital disruption, um, transformation. These are terms that that are thrown around a lot and behind each one of those terms is a lot of emotional, um, you know, I, I don't want to say like stress, but it can be. So I'm curious when you think about transforming healthcare, that's like capital T, capital H, uh, sure. <laughs> you know, from your standpoint as someone who's done, uh, you know, doctorate level work in org design, what are some of the key things that uh, you see in transforming healthcare um, that that have to be maintained in, in in terms of the you know the pace of change and um, mm-hmm. the level of complexity and as you as you talked about you introduced yourself you're a lifelong learner um, so I'd yeah. love to get your perspective on that and, and sort of what that feels like in in your in your work yeah actually it's a I love the question it's loaded too for me yeah. it's a, a thoughts that um, that runs through my mind the first thing I would say is that. When I go back to the missions that, you know, it's been the one constant that's really been our, you know, if you will, our guideposts uh, mm-hmm. for all the change and informs our change. And um, and when I think about the six tenets of our, our mission, uh, you know, the second one's around uh, how we direct our growth um, and talks about our quality, our commitment to quality, um, also about making a fair profit. And our fifth tenets around recognizing the personal worth of our employees. Um, and interesting enough, you mentioned that we're going to talk about um, diversity inclusion. You know, the, up until recent, I would say the past month, um, during one of our global leadership meetings, the mission has not changed. One word, not, one word has not changed at all. It's the same exact mission that was written over 50 years ago. Except this year, there was one change to the mission that our our current CEO made, and it was to our fifth tenant to talk about our employees and engage our employees. Uh, And the original um, tenant read to recognize the personal worth of of employees by providing them an employment framework, you know, that allows them um, personal satisfaction and their work and security and promotion um, and sharing in the company's success. And the one word that they added or to change the mission over 50 years ago was all employees. So to really talk about, given the environment we're in in the United States and around the world for that matter, is that recognizing the personal worth of all our employees. So that word all was not in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, when I think about change and, the, and how the mission guides us, I, I think that's important to state and also talking about the six tenants around maintaining good citizenship. So when I think about those six tenants and going back to my background and, you know, just my academic background and the recent doctor program, I think about frameworks, you know, that guides change and you talk about, you know, how do we, how do we move through it? You know, we, we can talk about, you know, Lewin's change model of, you know, was unfreeze, um, the change and the refreeze, or you talk about uh, Kubler-Ross and around, or uh, you have Bridges, you have Cotter, you have McKenzie, all those different change models and frameworks. 
I look to our mission at Medtronic and say that is a framework to inform, you know, how we do change. Mm-hmm. And it surrounds the quality of our products, you know, how we align to the disruption and changes in healthcare. And going back to the mission, says we're going to make sure that our products are reliable and have uh, the best quality. We're also going to make sure we keep a constant focus on the employees that work at Medtronic and their careers. We're also going to say, how do we value um, the, pro- the products we make and making a, a fair pro- uh, profit? How we engage the community as an organization. So I think the, the mission really provides that framework for us um, to inform all the changes and disruption in healthcare and saying that how do we show up as an organization to not only meet the needs, but also really help inform and change the landscape of healthcare. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's really interesting how, um, you know, tenants, I love the fact that you use the word tenants, because essentially that's the, the lenses with which, you know, we view our work and we view kind of our contributions in, in the world. And even, even having the, the constancy of most of it, but then adding adding one word, which is, you know, it's a, a small but powerful word of all, um, changes the entire uh, perspective and, and kind of brings new life, I imagine, to, to those values. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, I mean, when you think about that, like that's, that's a small but um, not insignificant um, change. And when you think about, as, as, as we talked about earlier, the, you know, Medtronic has 13 employee resource groups around the world, um, you know, has over 16,000 employees participating in 60 countries. Um, those are some impressive numbers around that all aspect of getting, you know, having all employees feel engaged and participating in one way. I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit of that that journey from your standpoint of uh, those ERGs um, and the participation and the inclusion and what that looks like and feels like at Medtronic. Yeah, thank you for the question. This is one of my passion areas. And I would say I, I recently discovered this uh, in the last three, four years and part part of it was is because of Metron. So I joined Metron through an acquisition, the Covidian acquisition, back in 2015. Um, prior to that, I was with Covidian, the company that Metron acquired, for my combined seven years with the organization. And so one of the first things after you know the deal closed and we started to go through the change of integrating large, these two large companies, but you know mainly the Covidian company that Metron purchased. Um, the ERG, the focus on employee resource groups was uh, was highlighted more so at Medtronic than it was in my previous company. And so one of the things as being the leader of the business I was supporting was to bring that to the site I was at um, mm-hmm. to help inform people, to understand the business case, the why, how to organize, what that is. And so I'm pleased to say the journey has been one of such satisfaction. Um, I just recently came back last week and our U.S. Um, headquarters in Minneapolis, where we were having um, efficacy um, training for our ERGs and networks. And so we differentiate uh, what most people have or know as classical ERGs, uh, a women's network, a women's ERG, uh, African descent, Hispanic Latino, um, um, Asian Pacific Island, 
Um, you have Christian uh, ERGs, you have uh, veterans, um, able-bodied, uh, you have administrative assistants, you have professionals, so you, and, and we have all of those. Mm-hmm. But we differentiate in our organization what we call four networks, mm-hmm. and then the rest are ERGs. And so the four networks are traditional underrepresented minorities um, um, within the workforce of uh, African descent in the U.S., um, Hispanic Latino in the U.S., Asian Americans in the U.S., and then globally, uh, women. And so those four um, groups um, that organize are called networks. And we have quarterly meetings with our CEO around our strategies and updates, and uh, we have sign- annual signature events. It's just a great community. And, of course, anyone can join. You don't have to be, quote-unquote, a member of that particular affinity Right. Um, but those groups, we have a specific focus on saying, how are we advancing the careers of those individuals from a retention and a promotion and engagement um, aspect? And then the rest of our uh, groups are traditional, what we call ERGs that are, you know, bottoms up, um, employee led um, from the ground. And like I mentioned, veteran, um, our pride group, um, we have Christian group, we have Muslim group that's doing a lot of work now around their holidays. Um, so it's a great, a great environment when we talk about adding that word all. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate that they sit on the company's um, leadership team for the African Descent Network. And I'm the local executive sponsor for our women's network in Southern California, as well as the executive sponsor for our Pride Network. And so I get the privilege to see, you know, and receive emails uh, from employees who say, thank you for being visible. Thank you for supporting this, because it helps with um, when someone sees someone like them or they see a senior leader being involved and interested um, and engaged in um, their own career success, success and how they show up and inclusion, it helps build that culture and that environment. So I'm pleased to say I work for an organization that not only takes it serious, but also invests very heavily and focus on it and our mission reflects it as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate that um, that additional perspective. You know, as someone um, at my my current firm, we have um, three ERGs, and we're working on our fourth and fifth. And I can echo that excitement around um, when you do see people connect um, over commonalities or share stories or even just allies. Um, it's been really interesting. Uh, to see the power of that. And um, one thing I'm particularly proud of is we started the the West Monroe Pride uh, ERG recently and um, in every one of their quarterly meetings and our headquarters is in Chicago, um, the the largest conference room we have in Chicago um, is standing room only. Um, And most of those people are allies Um, and it's really tremendous. It's tremendous to be able to share stories, to see people um, excited to, to really, you know, um, to live out what it means to be an ally, not only in our workplace, but also in our client spaces. Um, and I think about, you know, I, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts a little bit on, you know, I just find it so fascinating that you, that you work in this brain science uh, part of Medtronic. And, and one of the things that I often share with uh, my colleagues and some of my clients is I too am a lifelong learner and have done quite a bit of diving into neuroscience. Um, partly because by understanding the way the brain works, I can actually help people go through change easier because 
when we get past, you know, all of the, the environmental stuff and we get past how we were brought up and even our own, you know, body structures and skin color and, and background, the brain actually behaves very similarly, um, in the, in the, in the human body. Um, and so understanding the, the neuroscience part of it for me has really helped, um, build bridges, uh, because essentially people start to realize they don't have to necessarily take things so personally. And when we understand that bias is actually just a shortcut happening in your brain. And if you can understand why that's happening in your brain, you can actually rewire your brain um, and then show up in the world differently. So I'm, I'm curious from your standpoint of working in the brain science area, do you get to, do you get to meet with neuroscientists? Do you get to understand a little bit of that? Has that, has that shaped some of the work you do in, um, in HR and OD and change? Yeah, I would have to separate, uh, I would say organizational psychology, mm-hmm. uh, from, um, I would say neuroscientists, neuro- neurologists. The short answer is that yes, I get to interact with our customers, uh, when, when we have various events on site or if I'm doing field visits, um, or if we're doing sales means or we've invited guests. Um, and one thing that we like to say about you know, the division the that I support, uh, brain therapies, it's, uh, we like to say it's everything from the neck up, mm-hmm. um, but specifically around stroke, um, mm-hmm. would be our neurovascular division for, um, hemorrhagic stroke and acute ischemic strokes, um, but also brain modulation for Parkinson's mm-hmm. is another one of our divisions. And then the other one would be, you know, doing, um, uh, tissue ablation, um, spinal procedures, um, and with our enabling tech type of, uh, 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 products that we have from imaging and navigation. And then, uh, cerebral fluid type of devices, uh, for, uh, hydrocephalus. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about the device side of what we do for, um, brain diseases and our therapies, uh, addressing those therapies, the, the aspect that we like to say is that the brain is the new frontier. We we don't know, you know, as a you know a species, if you will, much about the brain. Right. And so when you think about healthcare medical devices, we're just barely scratching the surface. So it's very exciting. So that's the business side. But in terms of like the organizational side of neuroscience and neuro leadership and and um, 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 behavior. Uh, that aspect of it, it's just, it comes with the ter- territory when I, when we think about human resources and really talk about people and behaviors and how they show up at work. There's a saying I, I like to provide to our leaders at times uh, when they're dealing with conflict or employee issues. I'm like, look, we're talking about human beings. They do not leave all their issues, concerns, worries at the door when they come to work. Mm-hmm. And so when those kind of issues and conflicts or concerns manifest itself and you have leaders that aren't comfortable or may not be informed on how to address it, to your point around when you understand that that behavioral side of people, it helps you to really understand how do you approach a situation, how do you bring um, bring about uh, resolution for not just individuals but teams collectively. So I get to do the both and, if you will, of when you think about the brain. So there's the organizational behavior side of it, but then it's also the business of um, solving diseases and and issues um, of the brain. 
Yeah, I know that that's got to be pretty powerful, that combination, I imagine, um, especially as someone like you who is a lifelong learner. And um, I, I, I totally second what you're saying. We have just scratched the surface. There's so much of the brain. We don't understand how it works, what it does, um, how it restores. Um, you know, you and I have talked a lot about, you know, mindfulness and meditation. I see that that increasingly being talked mm-hmm. about place, which is very exciting. Um, as we get down to the last couple of minutes here, I would, I would love to ask you to TK, how, you know, obviously you're, you're a road warrior, you're, you're handling a lot of issues in terms of, uh, complexity, you're managing people, you're managing teams, you're teaching yourself. How do you, um, how do you find balance and, and maintain balance with all this change? Um, obviously, as, as people have heard, you've done quite a bit of you know self inquiry. You've done a lot of study, um, but you're also a man on the go. Um, you've got a family. You've got a business. You've got um, commitments. I would just love to know um, how how you manage change personally and and sort of striking that balance. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. It's this great question that. I haven't given too much thought to, and I, I kind of go back to a question, another question someone asked me a couple of years ago. I was doing a, a, a presentation at a conference, and I sat down after my presentation, and one of the individuals that was at my table, she looked at me and she said, I want my children to be like you. And I'm like, what? And she was like, no. I, and she looked at me and she says, I'm fascinated. What drives you getting to the balance part? Mm-hmm. And I, and I looked at it and said, that's an interesting question. What drives me? Um, and I said, huh, you know, I was like, I'm passionate about what I do and the people I support and um, seeing the, the mission that drives me at my company and seeing those outcomes of not just the products we develop and manufacture and sell, but also to see the outcomes with the patients and, seeing careers change. I said, all of that, that's, I get that, that's where I get satisfaction from. Mm-hmm. But what drives me, I, and I had to really take some time and, and I told her um, two things. I said, one, it's a healthy sense of not wanting to fail or, or, you know, better phrase to say fear of failure. And, and it's like, that doesn't have to have a negative connotation, but it, it also recognizes like my background, what I came from, you know, I grew up in the military where my parents were in the army and I got to see the world and, you know, we didn't, we were comfortable, but, you know, by any means, I'm not a, a, a trust fund person. So it's like, how do I, you know, support myself one, but also how do I balance this natural curiosity that I have of the world and of people? And so that was one. The second part of, you know, where do I find balance uh, actually is goal setting. You know, mm-hmm. I, spe- I have specific goals that I have um, and I don't take myself too seriously as, as one, but the goals I set for myself helps, you know, either accelerate the pace, which causes change and disruption, or it allows to inform to say, I'm in a good place. Right. And those goals are individual. So I'm not competing against anyone but myself. And so that allows me to have the flexibility to say, you know what, you know, if I want to take some time off, it's perfectly okay. I go back to what are my goals, what are my passions, what are my aspirations that I'm, I'm trying to achieve, and how does that show up within work, in my personal life, in my family, with my husband. 
And so I think my, my goals actually help inform how I, how I manage and deal with change. And I, I do, I have a daily practice or try to have a daily practice of meditation and prayer and also um, eating well. And, mm-hmm. and then I think the other part is finding time to think and separating right. that from meditation. Um, you know, when we talk about the brain, but just having time to think and being creative and I write a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helps also or how I manage change. Um, so that's kind of how I would answer it. I'm still personally trying to define that because it, it's just, to your point, I'm in constant motion. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I stop and slow down, I feel it. And right. then I have to be okay. I have to be okay with it. Say, okay, we're relaxing now and it's okay. And then I get back to, okay, what's the task at hand and how does it relate to uh, my particular goal or aspirations? Yeah, no, I, I echo the the aspect you're talking about, the sort of thinking and making that time. There was a, a client I met with recently and um, after I was listening to a podcast, um, because I do a lot of consuming of, of certain podcasts similarly, because of, again, the you know, I, I like to kind of think in, in a deep way and in, in what other leaders and uh, luminaries are, are talking about. But in this podcast, it was actually talking about sleep and the importance of sleep and how we have to prioritize sleep. And one of the things I, I heard in the podcast that really, really struck me was, um, you know, this, this researcher, this scientist said that people spend three to four times um, as much effort receiving information as they do reflecting on that information. And I think in this world that we're in today, just with the amount of stimulus coming at us and the amount of data coming at us, we are always in that receiving mode. What we are not doing is reflecting mode. Um, And I think that's what you're talking about with the making space to think. Um, And to me, that's a big part of staying healthy and change. For leaders, it is imperative, in my opinion, that they make the space and time to reflect and then proceed or act. Um, and I, I fear there's a real lack of that these days. Yeah, I, I can see it, you know, just the pace, um, of change. I mean, it's, that's just the environment that we're in, um, just constant disruption and, and advances in technology. And, you know, we talk about the speed of innovation, the speed of change. Um, how do you adapt uh, what does agility look like? And all of that, taking that time to uh, decompress and reflect is important, not only uh, from a physiolo- uh, phys- physiological standpoint, uh, but also the brain. You, you're right. just thinking, you just get buttered and just you're just constantly just putting stuff up there. And um, the other part I was thinking about, too, uh, when I think about, you know, how do I manage and balance change and reflect on that personally? Um, I, I'd be remiss not to say that laughter, you know, yeah. I mentioned that I take Humor. myself yeah. too serious, um, but, you know, you know, vegging out a little bit on, you know, a Netflix show and, um, you know, doing reruns uh, of some of our favorite sitcoms that we would watch together. Uh, one of those is Psych. I probably have seen, you know, the series probably two or three times. Um, mm-hmm. uh, another one is, uh, old show, uh, Queen of uh, Queen Queen of King, Kings of Kings of Queens. 
you would think I would know it as many episodes I've seen it, but just that, you know, is thankless comedy, wholesome comedy at the same yeah. time. You know, yeah. we go to comedy shows and stuff like that. I mean, that does the heart, the mind, the soul so much good. And so that balance of, you know, reflecting and laughter, but, you know, also just, you know, you brought up sleep. I'm not good at yeah. that just yet. I'm, that's the one I'm working on, to be honest with you. Uh, so yeah, all of those, you know, those healthy practices and finding that what works for you, but knowing that all of those tools and resources are, it's, you know, are something that we all should be uh, um, engaging with and, and applying to our daily lives. I so appreciate that uh, insight and humor. Absolutely. Um, I mean, for me, it uh, as of late, it's a lot of Big Bang Theory uh, re- reruns. Um, I've, I've been known to watch those on planes and I have to sometimes be careful because I laugh out loud on a plane and it's not, it's not welcomed, but you're right. The humor is sometimes the best tonic. So, um, well, TK, I really appreciate your time. If people wanted to learn a little bit more about, uh, you or Medtronic or some of the things that they're, uh, that, that you guys are doing to, you know, award-winning life-changing work, where's the best place for them to, uh, to look, to connect to you or to look about, uh, Medtronic and the latest, um, you know, things that they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So per, professionally, you, especially about the company I work for, uh, Medtronic.com, uh, we're doing some great things. Um, definitely, if you're interested in learning more, uh, there's our website is a wealth of information. Um, to connect with me, I, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me under my formal name, Telerius, T-E-L-A-I-R-E-U-S, last name H-E-R-R-I-N. And the one thing I would just leave with everyone, someone uh, on LinkedIn that I'm connected with and uh, have posted something recently and really, really resonated with me. And I had a, a saying around, you know, if the work that I do and how I approach life, um, and especially when I talk about diversity and inclusion and how you show up at work and, and, you know, just being a voice for so many people that may not have a voice and being that model and that example. I was kind of saying that if not me, then who? And if not now, when? But there was something that he stated that resonated to me that I'm adding is that, you know, live your life out loud. Yeah. And that is like, do not let anything or any circumstance or situation muffle who you are you know we get into being your authentic self but that phrase living your life out loud i Mm -hmm. just love that so i would just leave your audience with that and uh, of course you know how they can contact me absolutely thank you again for your time this was a dynamic and vibrant and um inspirational conversation as i expected it to be it is great to connect with you and um hear how things are going and Uh, Look forward to connecting again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for the invitation, Bill. Take care. Thanks, TK. All right. Bye now. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with TK on the importance of mission and vision in an organization. One correction before we go. Uh, TK and I were talking about the mission of Medtronic, saying it was written in 1962. It was actually written in 1960. So wanted to make that correction. Hope you enjoyed the episode.